Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. talking a little bit about um, a little bit about my testimony and um, his pursuit of me because that's how it all started with him so, um, so I grew up in a wonderful family um, my mom and dad are fantastic I have a older sister who is always one of my best friends um, but I did not grow up in a home that knew God um, and so being a good person was good enough you know um, so when I was in um, fourth or fifth grade, my dad got um, cancer for the first time, and he had Hodgkin's disease. And at the time, you know, I don't know how old you are in fourth or fifth grade. How old are your kids? Ten? Eight-ish? Um, and I remember coming home, and my dad had, like, gauze on his chest. And I was like, what is that? And my dad's like, oh, I just had to go to the doctor and get poked, you know? And that was all I thought of it. And... Um, I remember my mom being like, you have to tell them. Um, so they explained that he had something called Hodgkin's, Hodgkin's disease. And I remember the word disease is like, oh, okay. Because disease didn't associate with cancer for me then. Um, so I didn't understand um, what my family was walking through at the time. But I do remember um, my grandma who, um, I still am a little confused about my family sometimes because I think that they believe believe a God, there is a God, but there's no relationship, there's no pursuit, there's no community in in Christ. So, um, but my grandma, my mom's mom gave me this little stone and it had an angel on the front and the back it said strength. And at that time, that became a life source for me. Like, it went with me, it, um, it was a comfort blanket to me. But I didn't understand, you know, exactly what that was. And then um, my dad, I get a little bit confused about some of the timeline. I believe he had radiation the first time and the cancer was gone, praise God. And then um, in sixth grade, um, he got sick again. And I remember, I'll never forget, I was sitting um, at my parents' house, it's like a small galley kitchen, and their washer and dryer are in it. And I remember we would always sit on the washer and dryer and always get in trouble for sitting on the washer and dryer. Um, but my sister was on the counter after school and I was on the washing machine and um, we were just talking and my mom came in and the look on her face, it was like, what happened? Um, and it was a Friday, I remember it was a Friday. So um, she came home and she told us that dad was sick again. Um, same thing, uh, back a little bit worse. Um, and at this time, I was attending a youth group um, for fun. I did not go for Jesus at all, and I have to admit that part because it was just a social hour. Um, but it was the end of school, and um, we were having a sleepover with our, the small group that I was a part of. But I remember going there, and the, um, it was a high school student that led our small group, and um, her mom had dealt with um, cancer her whole life. And I remember those group of young people praying over me. Um, and that's about all I remember of the, you know, time in small groups besides 
like what the building looked like. But that was such a significant moment for me because it was like, okay, there's somebody above myself paying attention to me and um, showing me a little bit about who he is. But then I, you know, that didn't last long. Went to high school. There was uh, the more fun things to do, like hang out with your friends and stuff, and not not understanding um, the bigger picture here. And then um, in high school, um, I went through a season of darkness. Um, my darkness didn't look like a lot of people's, um, but I was really depressed. Um, I couldn't eat. I don't have that problem now. Um, but I couldn't eat. I was upset all the time. I didn't have any like severe suicidal thoughts, but I did have moments when I would be driving home from work and you'd cross that bridge and be like, if I just went like this, you know, things would be easier. Um, but I remember I was working at a restaurant at the time and every Sunday this family would come in and have lunch after church. Well, I remember earlier in the week, um, one of our managers that I really enjoyed came up to me and he's like, hey, this book has been here for like weeks. If you, you don't want it, can you throw it away? I'm like, yeah. Well, I look at it and it's a yellow book and um, it was about angels. I'm like, well, you can't throw a book about angels in the trash. Like, <laughs> you know, that just didn't seem quite right. So I took it home. And then a couple of days later on a Sunday afternoon, that family came in that I mentioned and um, one of the daughters that would come in had um, Down syndrome and she was always um, super quiet and she wouldn't really make con like contact with the workers. And um, I remember she was leaving and she was walking out the first double door and she turned at me and she said, what's your name? I said, Katie. I said, what's your name? She said, Angel. She said, I'm going to pray for you. And I remember that moment being like, it's one of those moments where God's like, I'm right here. Like, would you pay attention to me? Um, and that was one of those other, you know, milestone moments for me where now looking back, of course, I'm 16 at the time. My eyes aren't open. Um, but um, now looking back, it's these moments where it was like my entire childhood growing up in youth, he was gently planting little seeds with a tender hand because he knows that I need that gentleness. And he's saying, you don't know me, but I know you and I love you over and over and over again. And um, it wasn't until, I know Daryl has told this, um, but it was one night we were recently married um, and we were laying in bed one night, TV was off, we're just kind of laying there and all of a sudden he's like, do you think we need to go to church? And I'm like, well, I was kind of literally just sitting here thinking about the same thing, which cracks me up because that was never a conversation like we really had. Um, so we did. Um, and it's funny because um, sometimes my sometimes my worldly brain and my logical thinking gets me into trouble spiritually um, more often than I should admit. But And God is just so funny because um, we were, started going to church. My husband was in the military in the reserves at the time, and he was supposed to be deployed. And I remember, um, so he had a daughter when he was young. So she was, by the time we got married, she was eight or nine, maybe. Um, and sometimes it was hard to get to see her while he was gone. But his mom and dad had her, and they were um, 
taking her to church on Sunday. So I was like, well, I'm going to come so I can see her. Well, we went to Frosty Boy after we're in the line. And the first time I went to church as an adult, and Daryl calls me while we're in the line. He's like, I'm pretty sure the deployment's getting canceled. I'm like, I like church. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> um, and he's just been so faithful for a long time in his pursuit of me. And um, so I'm going to read out of John 6, um, verse 44 says, The only way people come to me is by the Father who sent me. He pulls on their hearts to embrace me. And those who, draw, who are drawn to me, I will certainly raise them up in the last day. And, you know, he, the Father is drawing you. It's up to you how hard you're going to resist. But he is constantly drawing you to himself. And the first time, you know, he was in pursuit of us was in the garden. We had just separated ourselves from him through sin. And his response was, where are you? And I, maybe I'm wrong, but my brain doesn't hear him going, where are you? Like, irritated. He's like, where are you? Like, we were just in a relationship. Where'd you go? Um, and his greatest demonstration of pursuit of us was when he manifested himself in flesh in pursuit of the image he created. So when he sent his son to die for us, that was his greatest pursuit of you. That was his forever pursuit of you. It says, um, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So he has pursued you into eternity. Like, that's how much he loves you. He has pursued you into eternity. So um, a lot of you, if you um, know me or my family, um, know about a significant shaking that took place in our walk. And um, that... It, I'm going to share some of that. Uh, Daryl shared his perspective a lot. Um, and though it was the same walk, I have different things I see in it. And that's with my oldest son, Garrett. And he is six, almost seven. And um, back in 2014, yes, 2014, um, back in early in the year, um, I had had a positive pregnancy test, and, um, you know, first time, all exciting. I posted it on Facebook with a little picture. Well, um, I went to the doctor, and um, there was a problem. There was nothing there. So they said, well, maybe you're earlier than you think. Come back in a couple weeks, and we'll do it again. Um, well, we went back, and there was nothing there. It was There was a gestational sac that formed, but something went wrong and um, no baby formed. And I remember being so broken because um, the only way, so they had to remove that sac because it could, all the extra hormones and stuff that my body was retaining could have been cancerous and all this kind of stuff. So they had to um, take it out. And I remember feeling so empty after that. And um, it's funny, my sister, I love my sister very much. Again, she's not saved yet. Um, but she always, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this. She calls it my uterus bubble, and it kills me because it's so insensitive, but now that's all I can think of it as <laughs> was this, just this bubble that, like, nothing happened. So, and then I had this weird um, internal conflict because I'm like, well, nothing formed, so how, why am I so upset? Is that a miscarriage? Does that qualify? It doesn't, you know, 
it's not the same level that other women had to deal with. But it was part of my walk, and it was part of a trust um, and a dependence that Daryl had on the Lord because he, you know, advocated for our family with the Lord. Like, he believed when we went back something would be there. Um, so fast forward, we weren't really supposed to try. I guess we didn't try, but oops, got pregnant. And um, so then came Garrett. Well, Garrett, when we found out I was pregnant, like two weeks later, Daryl got laid off from his job. And at the time, I was a contractor at the company I work for now, but um, so I didn't have health insurance. And I remember, like, that was my biggest thing. Like, what are we going to do? Because we have to go. I have history now. Like, I need to be able to see what's going on, know that there's a baby in there and all of that. Well, I mean, he got a job, like, instantly, um, but insurance didn't kick in for 90 days. So... In my worldly freak-out mind, I'm like, need to know how to handle the situation. And um, so I found out at the time, I don't know if it's still true, but if in Michigan, if you were pregnant and didn't have insurance, the state had to cover you. So um, I was able to get Medicaid for the pregnancy. Well, after that 90 days um, and his insurance kicked in, I remember calling the caseworker and being like, okay, we're good. Like, got past the 90 days. I don't need it anymore. Um, well, either God deleted the message or made her forget because he did not, the insurance did not get canceled through the state at this time. Well, um, so I remember on, it was my dad's birthday, so October 18th was the first time I went to the hospital, and, um, I was dealing with severe back pain, um, I don't think anybody believed me <laughs> a little bit how bad it was. Because um, if I stub my toe, I'm a whiner. Like, I'll admit that. But, like, the real pain I can handle pretty good. Um, but so all along in the pregnancy, my body was showing warning signs. So my blood pressure was really high. Um, I had swelling. And they kept saying, well, there's, it may just be gestational hypertension or whatever. Um, because all the other warning signs of what's called preeclampsia weren't showing up. So along we went, along we went. I went to the hospital that day, got checked out. I had like a bladder infection or something like that. Um, so they sent me home. Well, I remember they said, if this, this, or this happens, you need to call us immediately. Well, I was sitting at work. And I'll never forget that moment either, because I was with a lady named Teresa, who has the greatest southern accent. No, oh, <laughs> besides Becky and Becky. And <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so glad she didn't bring her popcorn she said she was going to bring out. It just got dumped on. Um, but I remember sitting there, and I was um, driving, is what we called it. So I was doing the stuff on the computer. She was sitting with me, and I couldn't see anymore. My eyes got completely blurry like I had taken out my contacts and um, I got really hot and shaky and I'm like I gotta go so like any wise person would do I drove around because <laughs> I called the doctor and left a message and then I called Daryl and he was off at lunch and he didn't have his phone and I'm like well I don't want to just go to the hospital and sit there again for two hours for them to send me home like I don't want to you know um, super intelligent so um, I went home, I, well, I went to Rite Aid first, and I took my blood pressure, and it was something crazy, and I was like, oh, well, it's just because I'm hot, and I've been driving around, like, I just need to go chill out, 
So I go home for a little bit. I go back to a different location to take my blood pressure. And as I'm walking out, the nurse called and she's like, what is your blood pressure right now? And it was like 160 something over like 108. I don't know. It was high. She's like, you need to come in right now. I'm like, okay. So Daryl was supposed to have a class that night. Uh, Lily was home. So his mom came over or something to that extent. And uh, I'm like, hey, Mom and Allie, you want to come hang out at the hospital with me? Because I don't want to be bored, right? So my mom and my sister meet me at the hospital, and we're just hanging out. I'm not even slightly worried. And the nurse practitioner comes in, or midwife or whoever, and she was like, okay, the ambulance is on its way. I was 27 weeks at this point, or 26 at this point. And um, the ambulance is on its way. They're going to take you to Bronson. Those things that we were looking for have now showed up. So um, you're going to go. We're going to put an IV in you, and they're going to deliver the baby. And I'm like, okay. Like, that was my reaction. I wasn't sedated anything at this point. And it was just like, okay. Um, and, you know, my, my sister called Daryl, and he's like, thought she was kidding. Like, there was no way that this was happening. So I'm a li little sad. I had a selfie with the ambulance driver on the way that we sent to Daryl to let him know everything was okay. I'm really sad I don't still have that picture. But um, <laughs> so we get to the hospital. Um, they're explaining what's going on. And at this point, they said, you're not leaving here without a baby in your hand. Well, being born. Um, but we're going to do everything we can to keep him in as long as we can because we're going to give him shots to develop his lungs and we're going to give, he needs two doses and they have to be this far apart. Um, so I remember the first day, I was think it was just, it was so overwhelming, there was no reaction. The second day, everything was going better, right? So I'm like, okay, can I, someone get me a laptop and I'll just work from the hospital until, you know, we're going to hang out here for weeks was my, my plan. My plan was we were going to stay there for weeks as Garrett grew. Um, but on the third day, I birthed my miracle. And um, I remember, I don't remember a lot about that first day. Um, I remember our first nurse that I met was a male nurse named Ed. And he said, don't worry, I pray over every one of these babies in the morning when I get here. And I remember having such a peace. Well, most of you, if you've been around, know Garrett. He's a little wild child. Um, I joke sometimes, and Lord, don't take offense, but I'm like, we prayed too hard for him because, like, I remember praying, like, his lungs were a big issue. God, let his lungs be strong, and I just want to hear him cry because he was ventilated at first. I just want to hear him cry. He's the whiniest little dude, like, <laughs> ever. And... He's loud, and he is feisty, and he has to have the last word, and he, he's in control in his mind, and he was in my belly. Like, he, <laughs> um, yeah, he's going to, he's going to, yeah, we're going to make it through. Somehow, we're going to make it through. So, um, during that season, so we were in the hospital for 100 days, and um, he came home on a feeding tube, um, but that was out in like four days. We just needed to be home and together all of the time. Um, so during that season, God consistently 
over and over and over again demonstrated his goodness and faithfulness in that season. We had the most mild winter ever. So this happened in October, but he was there until February. So most mild winter. We missed one day because of weather. We missed one day because of sickness. And that was it. We were able to be there, one of us, at least every other 98 days we were able to be at the hospital. I was able to work from the hospital. My job was amazing in that they let me work as many hours as I wanted. Um, and not, I didn't have to work my 40 hours. Um, and the whole time we're like, how are we going to do this? I mean, his insurance was like decent, but that's a lot of doctor bills. Well, like I said, God must have deleted the message or made that lady forget because we found out he was still covered by Medicaid. I got all of those statements from the insurance. Um, he, it was over a million dollars in hospital bills. Um, I remember getting a big one. It was like 400 and something thousand and being like, oh, like dang, but okay. That was just for the room. That didn't include everyone we would get daily for his pokes and his testing and all of that stuff. Well, because the Medicaid didn't get canceled, I paid $13 for that kid when he was born. My, like, whatever, I signed up at Intercare at the time. That's, I had to pay some, like, registration for something random. I don't even remember. That was it. Um, and when we look back, we had gas cards and checks from people, you know, a girl I went to high school with had sent me a check for $300 to help with gas. Like, God had us covered completely. And I remember um, Becky shared her story about um, the Lord allowing her to go to heaven in a dream. And it wasn't until she kind of talked about it that I feel like... Um, the Lord gave me my moment of surrender that night. Daryl was downstairs with Garrett, and it was the night he was born. And um, I was a mess because I was trying to figure out, like, the pump by myself. And I was, like, all, like, weak feeling and stuff. So I remember being so upset. And um, I couldn't go downstairs to see him. And um, so I had put my music on. And there was a song that I was listening to. And I feel like... I literally was in the clouds. Like, they were light pastel colored, and I was just in the clouds. And I remember, like, for so long thinking, like, oh, that was the anesthesia wearing off, you know. And maybe it was. Maybe. I don't know. But um, I really believe that was the moment that God was like, I have you. Like, you, everything is going to be okay. Um, but I found in that season it's a whole lot easier to pursue God when you're in need. It's a whole lot harder when you have the option to, when things are like, fine, you know, good enough. It's a lot harder to, to pursue after him. But like I said, I'm looking back at all these moments in my life, and there have been plenty more, but these are the ones that really stand out to me. And like, I know that he has pursued me to him, just like I know he has pursued you to him, because you're sitting here today, right? But it's not just about you and me. Like, he's pursuing your neighbor. He's pursuing my family still. He's pursuing your loved ones. He's pursuing those prodigals that we called out. You know, he is after them. And the moments he's pursuing us are also a way he's pursuing them. The way they, these people, other people, the way we see each other, 
go through the shaking and go through the testing, like he's in it all for, for us all. Um, and it's interesting because um, I was half thinking I would see her face today, but there was a lady, um, Daryl and I went to breakfast a couple weeks ago, and she was working as a server, and we didn't, um, we knew her from working together a long time ago, and uh, we were paying, walking out, she's like, Daryl, Katie, I'm coming to church sometime, and we're like, well, come on, you know, and we were, at the time, we had a worship night the next night, or something like that, I don't know, it all blurs together, but um, we're like, oh, no, Daryl is speaking, we're like, Daryl's speaking Sunday, you should come, she's like, I'm going to come when I'm ready to come, but he's telling me I need to come. So, like, she already knows that he's in pursuit of her. So it's this moment where she's just going to have to stop resisting, and I can't wait. Can't wait. Um, so, like I said, that season was a lot of learning to trust, growing in faith, um, a lot of seeking. But it was also a season of shaking where our entire world was flipped upside down. And when the shaking was over, there was, like, this moment of silence where it was like, what just happened? Like, what just happened? Because you're in this such desperation, desperation for so long, and now he's home and everything's fine, and, like, what did we just walk through? And um, there's a couple things that can happen when the shaking's over and we stop. One, you can convince yourself you did it. Or two, you can know who was in control of that situation and just pursue them further. So, um, like I said, when, when we are in our shakings, the, it's not just about us. It's about those who are witnessing it. You know, I think back to the day in the hospital when um, I was down here still before I went up to Bronson, and my mom's like, how are you so calm right now? And I was like, God didn't allow me to lose one baby to take this one, too. Like, he's not taking this from me. And um, I remember her just kind of looking at me like, what? How are you? Like, still not understanding. And I remember around 80 days, and I remember that because the nurse, I broke. I broke. Um, why is he not eating more? Like, who's not feeding him enough when at night? Like, why is he not progressing? And why can't I take him home? And just a mess, and she said, how long have you been here? I was like, it's been like 84 days. She's like, you're right on schedule. I was like, what does that mean? She's like, parents here that long, right around that time, you lose it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I guess at least we're on track, you know, but I, I remember my sister, um, we were together for some reason, and um, I was a mess, and she's like, why don't we go to your church and pray? Mind you, this is the one who doesn't believe in God at all. And she went with me, and she wept the whole time um, I was being prayed over. And it's, sometimes I'm like, okay, how do I get my family here? Like, how do I, what do I do? But then I think, I don't, I don't have to do a whole lot besides just live in him, because he's showing himself to them along the way, no matter how long it takes them to get him in the door. Um, so in his pursuit of me, he was pursuing them. Like, if for nothing else we walked through that season to get my family in the door, like, okay, thank you, Jesus. So, I'm going to go into um, Acts chapter 16. 
So this is the story that we all know about Paul and Silas being thrown into prison. Because, you know, they were acting the fool saving people. So, um, <laughs> um, so they're in jail. They're chained up. And they start praying and seeking and worshiping. And we all know the prison shakes and the doors fling wide open, right? So not only are they seeking after the Lord, praying for him, they were doing works in his name, and he freed them. But what about the other guy? Like, what if Paul and Silas were thrown into jail for the guards? So the guard wakes up. I don't know if he got knocked out by a rock or what, but he's like, the doors are open. I've lost all the prisoners. Like, this is going to be bad. So I'm just going to end it all for myself. And Paul and Silas are like, wait, 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 wait. We're here. We're here. And he's like, what? Why, why are you here? God didn't say we could leave yet. So the shaking wasn't just for setting Paul and Silas free. The shaking was to bring the guard to know the Lord. So, like, don't be discouraged when you're walking through the waters, like, and you don't see anything happening. There may be somebody sitting in the next room in, in need of your shaking, and that's okay. So not only, you know, when the guard came to, found Paul and Silas were still there and weren't, wasn't like, oh, good, let me lock you back up. It was, who are you and why are you still here? And the understanding that God didn't say that they could leave yet. They could have left. Like, there's no reason they had to stay other than God said to. Um, so not only did the guard get to come to know the goodness of God through the act and seeing, you know, him freeing his people, but he got to, to see the character of, of God's people, and he got to bring the guard into the kingdom. And not just that, his whole family was saved. It said his whole family was saved and baptized in that moment. So sometimes your own pursuit of God allows God to pursue others through you. So there's that moment after the prison doors open, before the guard comes, where Paul and Silas are just like hanging out. We don't know how long they waited, right? So I got really excited today. It killed me a little bit not to be in worship um, because uh, I've been for a real long time. And um, so I got really excited because they start with, like, my testimony. I'm like, I'm going to start with my testimony. And then they're like, we're going to wait on the Lord. I'm like, I'm going to wait. Like, I'm waiting on the Lord right now. You know, so, like, it just, it was just exciting. But, um, so, now I lost my, I get excited and I get a little jumbled. Um, so I just want to encourage you right now. If you're in a season of shaking and you have no idea why, maybe it's not for you. And we need to be okay with that. Okay, so I believe I'm shifting gears a little bit here. Um, I did not have some smooth transition route written in my notes for that. Um, but I'm going to go to Philippians 3, 1, and it says, 
My beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. So it talks about knowing him. So we were created to know him. Like, that's what we're here for. And when we have those voids in our spirit and those, um, those things that aren't of God, it's because we're not in knowing of him or we don't believe him, which is just crazy to me sometimes. Like, and I'm telling myself that because, like I said, my, re- my logic sometimes gets me into trouble um, when he showed himself faithful over and over and over again. Um, so like I said, it's easier to know him when you are desperate for him. It's a lot harder when you have an option. So just being real with all of you, I have been recently in a season of shaking. And um, not for anything, like I didn't just have a premature baby again or anything like that. Like I don't have a worldly reason um, for that, for being in a season of shaking that I can understand. Um, And it's funny because um, when I went to start writing um, in this notebook, I was flipping to the next open page and I saw like June 1st, I wrote um, during prayer, make me a place where you can dwell. I call my heart and flesh into alignment. And then he tries to do it, and I'm like a dog on a leash, y'all. Like, he's pulling, and I'm like, you know how your dog like does that backup thing? Like, I don't want to go. Like, that's, where, <laughs> that's a little bit where I've been. <laughs> um, so, um, and it's funny because, like, God gave me that image when I was driving home on Monday night because he's like, would you just come on? Like, come on, lady. Like, you know me. You know I'm good to you. Like, why are you fighting me so hard? My pastors are probably like, why are you fighting him so hard? Um, But this morning he was like, that leash in the image of the, you know, that dog resisting, that's knowing him. Like, why am I trying to act like I don't? Because I do. Um, But I was allowing these worldly stressors, like, you know, not feeling like you're doing a good job parenting your little people, and then your older daughter done gets married out of nowhere, and then... um, you know, there's changes at work, and life just becomes too busy, and, like, there's not, you feel like there's not a minute to think. Well, there's a good chance I was striving to do it all. I was trying to control every situation and do it all on my own. And when I'm striving, I'm not surrendering. When I'm striving, I am not in pursuit of him. And um, one trait that I have that I see as a positive. I feel like I'm a very self-aware person. So, like, when I know I'm being ridiculous, I know I'm being ridiculous. Like, when I get emotional over food, I know I'm being ridiculous. Like, because I'm hungry and I turn into a toddler. I'm like, I just want to eat, but I don't want to eat. Like, but I know I'm being ridiculous, right? And to me, that's half the battle, right? Knowing is half the battle. So knowing is half the battle. Knowing who God is is half the battle. But the second half is pursuing him to everything that he is and has for us. Like, that's the other part of this. Um, sometimes, let's see, I I highlighted, I'm supposed to stop here. Um, I'm going to read next out of Matthew 16. 
Kim knows I love um, office supplies. Girl, I'm all color coordinated. Check it out. Um, so Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own. As you continually surrender to my ways. So right there, that's telling me, like, disowning my own life. Like, I have to quit trying to be in control of it all. Like, I have to. I'm at that point where I don't have another option anymore. Because what it's doing inside is eating away everything that is good. This season of shaking and the season of, re season of resistance, I have been angry. I'm not an angry person. Like, I'm just not. I'm not an angry person. I've been angry. I've been jealous. I've been insecure. I've been, like, irrational. And <laughs> that's not who I am. None of those are biblical descriptions of who I am. Not one of them. And Matthew 6:33 says, So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. So if I'll just knock it off and give it to him, everything else is given in abundance. Everything else. You know, there's the three things the scriptures say above all about is love, knowing his kingdom, and knowing his righteousness. That's what it says. Above all, those three things. So it all comes back to I was striving. I wasn't surrendering, surrendering a thing to him. So he showed me another image about this season. And Becky had spoken um, over me one day. She's like, I got to tell you, I just have to. Like, you're in a season of shaking. And she says, I'm like, whatever, this is dumb. Like, I heard her, but I didn't hear her because it hurt. I didn't like it. Like, I did not like it. Um, but he showed me an image of a Christmas tree. So, you know, like, when you go to a Christmas tree farm um, around the holidays and you pick out the beautiful one and then they take it and then they shake it, like, on one of those machines, and every dead thing has to come off and the only thing left on that tree is life. Like, that's, that's where he has me, and I'm convinced a thousand percent, especially with how many new faces are here and how many faces here are in general, that I'm not the only one. Um, and in Psalms 46, he says, be still and know that I am God. And a lot of times in the scripture, we talk about the be still part, like just silence the loudness, silence the thoughts, silence that, and just rest in him. Well, he's also saying that I am God. You are not. You are not God over your life. He is. So be still, wait a minute, and let him do his thing. Like, just let him do his thing. And if we know that he is the one leading us, like, what are we? And that's, like I said, the rationality of my mind. I'm like, what are you doing to myself? Like, that is my thought process. Like, why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Um, but it's my flesh fighting, right? Why? Because something greater is coming. Like, that's why my flesh is fighting so hard, because the enemy has no desire to let me step further. 
But this is where the enemy has a problem. Him and I are not going to agree on this. It's because time after time after time after time, God has showed his faithfulness. The enemy has not once showed his. So, like, as much as I may resist and fight sometime, God is still God, and I know it, and I know it's my core. And I'm good with it. Like, that's where I want to be with the Lord, is to know and to know and to know. I'm fine with him correcting me like he has in this season and telling me to quit being a drama queen and, like, just come on. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with the enemy trying to convince me that my Lord isn't my Lord. Like, we're not doing that. So he is 100% after your heart. That's what he is after. And there's faith in it, right? Faith isn't a physical act. It's not just coming to church and putting your tithes in the little thing in the back or texting it. Like, that's not faith. Faith is an obedience. The only reason I'm standing here talking to you is because of obedience. I have no desire. Like, love you all. <laughs> but this is terrifying. Like, I need to be careful because the Lord's going to be like, watch this. So, Lord, this is great. Thank you. Um <laughs> But our faith is not a physical act. It's an obedient one. And obedience can look like physical things. It can be to go to this person because God told you to or to give to this ministry because he told you to or to pay for that person's groceries because he told you to. But ultimately, it's not the physical act. It's the obedience that you're following. So... um, Psalms 37, 3 says, Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure, feasting on his faithfulness. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure in your life, and he will provide for you what you desire most. Give God the right to direct your life, and you, as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfect, perfectly. He will appear as your righteousness, as sure as the dawning of a new day. He will manifest as your justice sure and strong as the noonday sun. Quiet your heart in his presence and pray. Keep hope alive as long as keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you. So in these seasons, guys, when you're in a shaking, you have to just know that he is God and that he is after you. And my favorite part of this, because again, I have a control that. Like, I'm not like some controlling wife, but I like to know things and I want, like, control of myself. I don't ever want to feel like I don't have the reins, but God's like, (laughs) as you trust in him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. Like he's going to do it way better and for, for his glory and for the glory of the kingdom. And that sounds a whole lot better than me getting my way. So when you Mr. Webster, surrender, it says, cease resistance to an enemy or opponent and submit to their authority. So we made ourselves enemies of the Father through our rebellion. But as we surrender, we're going to come into complete alignment with him and his desires. And when we're fulfilling his desires, we're fulfilling ours. And it's not about what we want, and I want to be careful there because sometimes like, we seek the Lord to get what we want, but that's not what we're created for. Um, but as we follow him and are in obedience with him, like, his desires are our greatest desire. We just don't know it yet. So like I said, if you're here 
you're already in pr pursuit of something beyond yourself. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting in this chair. And going deeper is a requirement, and it doesn't look the same for everyone. Um, but he has pursued you here, and he's asking for a pursuit from you now. So pursuit means to follow, follow after. He isn't asking you to go back to where he was when you encountered him two years ago. Like, that is not his desire for you. He created time, and time is linear. It moves forward. It's going upward and onward. And now it's time to trust in who the God is that holds our future. Pursuit looks like surrender. It's an intense desire that motivates action, an intense desire to know him so deeply that you will do whatever he asks. Lucas, will you come up? I made a nice little L with a circle, and I passed it. Um, so there's a song that I've been listening to on repeat um, during this season that um, I'm not asking you to play it. Don't worry. <laughs> he does not know about this song. Um, it's from Red Rocks Worship, and it's called Something Has to Break, and it says, uh, when you have your way, something has to break. Uh-oh. What I missed here. It's so good. Um, so A.W. Tozer says, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. So what he's saying, when we love him with all our soul, that means we know him and we're in pursuit of him. It's both. You can know him and still pursue him, and that's what your soul is longing for. That's that emptiness that you're feeling, and the, the answers you're not getting is because those two things are not in alignment. You're not doing both. So I encourage you today. That wasn't a condemnation because, like I said, I'm speaking to myself, if for anybody today. But if you know him and are not pursuing him, your soul isn't satisfied. So in Philippians 3.12, Paul writes, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I am pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. So you don't have to know it yet and have it all yet. Just go after him. Like, that's all. Keep moving forward. Keep going. Keep saying, God, what do you want? What do you want? Ignore what your flesh wants, because that's no good. It hasn't, yeah. Um, so Daryl and I were kind of talking a little bit about some of what I was going to share, and um, he reminded me of a gentleman named Eric Gilmore that we had watched um, some, I don't know, videos on, I guess. And he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He has the living water. You can swim and breathe in the river of the living water that, the God, that God has for you, and you will never thirst again, right? You've all heard that. You will never thirst again. But if you don't open your mouth, you're going to be thirsty. So I don't mean you need to sit here and drop, <laughs> drop your jaw at me, but what he's saying is take a step, do something, enter into the river, and you're not going to do that. You're not going to get immersed with his living water if you don't take a step and act in obedience. So would you stand with me? So we're going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to also offer up 
some of our family here to pray for you as well. If you have been in a season of shaking and you're ready to transition into a season of pursuing the Father and you need someone to agree with you and an accountability partner, if you will, and this is mine, this is me saying, quit letting me be the dog on the leash, encourage me to keep going. If you need someone to come and encourage it and, and enter into that agreement with you, you can come up or raise your hand. I'm going to ask our leadership team to kind of just help assist in that. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray us out. Father God, we just thank you for your word and your revelation, God. And we thank you for your divine appointments, God. We thank you for every body that has entered this room today, God, for they are here because you have a purpose for them. They are not here for any other reason, but their hearts desire you. And they may not know what that looks like yet and what that next step is, God, but we just ask that you download that into them, God, and that they know and they know that they know that they know that you are God and they are not. Father, we just come into agreement with you, God, that we are thirsty. We are thirsty, God. We are thirsty for what you have and what you, you alone have, God. We are ready, God. We are opening our hearts to who you are and everything that you desire for us, God. We are done striving. We are, the striving has ceased. This is done. There is no more striving and trying to do this on our own, God. We are in full surrender to you, God. We are ready to give up our plans for yours, Lord. And, and we are just, it's time to abide in you. We are done striving. We are ready to abide in you. We are done striving. We are ready to surrender to everything that you have, God. And we just know that you said that if we ask, you will answer. If we knock, you will open that door. If we seek, we will find you, God. We are seeking after you. We are knocking, God. We are knocking and knocking and knocking. And you can answer us over and over and over again, God. But you don't get tired. You don't get tired of us asking. You don't get tired of us seeking after you, God. You aren't ready to leave us at the door. You're not ready to put us in another room while we go do something else, God. You are ready for us to seek after everything that you have and everything that you are, God. And today is our day of surrender. Today is the day that the striving ceases, God. And we are yours and yours alone. So, Father, I thank you for every heart, God. I thank you for every word, God, that you poured out today, God. This is your word and your desire. And I thank you for the realization that there is nothing, nothing better than who you are. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Will, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.